Welcome to Sidactic Residency Edition. Today is Monday, August 7th, 2023, and I am Dr. O'Leary, a fourth-year psychiatry resident who likes to punish himself by assigning extra work like research and producing podcast episodes. For the new listeners out there, I would like to consent you um, that the ramblings uh, that you are about to consume are produced by me alone and by my deficient understanding of what smarter people have written down. These opinions are entirely my own. The only people who are consistently fact-checking me are my listeners, so if you want to comment on anything that I say here, please go to sidactic.com. that's P-S-Y-D-A-C-T-I-C.com, and fill out the response form there. For those interested, I also have some links at the end of the show transcript at sidactic.buzzsprout.com that I used when preparing this episode. Also, I'm recording this episode during some thunderstorms, so if you happen to hear some, like, cracking thunder or rain pattering in the back, uh, this is not ambiance that I have added. (laughs) These are real things. Today, I continue a series on the prefrontal cortex. It's a really complex region of the brain that gives us the ability Ability to really have the kinds of thoughts that no other species on Earth is known to have. In the last two episodes, I discussed the orbitofrontal cortex and the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex. If you haven't been following this series, then I highly recommend you start three episodes back where I summarized the entire prefrontal cortex. But today, I'm discussing the medial prefrontal cortex. I've also just recently discovered that it is also referred to as the mesial prefrontal cortex. Replacing the D in medial with an S to make mesial gave me an entirely different (laughs) set of search results. Um, And I suspect little things like this have a large and reverberating effect on how knowledge is shared in our scientific literature. But today, I'm going to refer to this area as the medial prefrontal cortex, and not forget to put mesial um, in the keyword section. The medial prefrontal cortex, like the orbital frontal cortex and the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, is variously defined based on who is describing it and for what purpose. I likewise found it especially difficult to figure out what subregions of the medial prefrontal cortex were being referred to when various authors were ascribing functions to this region. Anatomically, we could talk about the entire surface of the medial prefrontal lobes, and that includes the orbital medial prefrontal cortex at times, the ventral medial prefrontal cortex, the dorsal medial prefrontal cortex, um, and at times includes the anterior cingulate gyrus. Um, These regions have also been divided, especially in animal studies, into what's called the anterior cingulate cortex, the prelimbic 
regions, which I think is synonymous with the dorsal medial prefrontal cortex, and the infralimbic regions, which seems to mean the ventral medial prefrontal cortex. It becomes more confusing because the cingulate gyrus, or the anterior cingulate, is often included as part of the limbic cortex, and the rest of the medial prefrontal cortex may or may not be considered limbic cortex, depending on who's talking. What is important to know is that the medial prefrontal cortex is especially important for emotional and autonomic regulation, attention and goal-directed behaviors, including addiction, and building our sense of self. That identity as a thing separate from the world around us. It also helps consider salient aspects of the social context that we are in um, and what others might be thinking, among many, many other things. But to do all of these things, the medial prefrontal cortex needs to be connected to many brain regions. To probe our memories, it has strong connections to the medial temporal lobe, including the hippocampus and the enterorhinal and perirhinal cortex. To know how we feel or control in some respect how we feel, it's extensively connected to the amygdala, the periaqueductal gray matter, and to various brainstem nuclei to help motivate us to prepare for goal-directed activity, it's connected to the nucleus accumbens, the caudate, the putamen. To help us to understand our own tastes, preferences, and goals, it communicates extensively with the orbitofrontal cortex and the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex. It's communicating back and forth from the mediodorsal thalamic nucleus, which has extensive connections with the limbic system and other parts of the prefrontal cortex. It is not however, directly driving our actions. It's not directly connected to our you know, premotor, supplementary motor, or motor regions. Like the orbitofrontal cortex, it's more involved with determining goals and promoting motivation, but our actual actions are coordinated by other brain regions. With the exception of the anterior cingulate, Parts of the medial prefrontal cortex participate in what has been called our default mode network. And uh, I did an episode on the default mode ne network in the past. You can, you can look it up. The default mode network includes the posterior cingulate cortex, parts of the precuneus and the inferior parietal lobe, and much of the medial prefrontal cortex. The default mode network becomes more active when we are relatively relaxed and self-referential, and especially when we're like in deep ruminative thought. On the other hand, when we're engaged in activities that require attention to be more outwardly or externally focused, that require more consideration of sensory input with a high cognitive load, the, the default mode network is suppressed by the central executive network in a process called anti-correlation. Now, it was originally thought that these two networks would always anti-correlate, but it appears that that's really an artifact of the kinds of tasks people were asked to do when they were in scanners. Creative thinking, and especially in the abstract, for example, like seems to require these networks to correlate 
and coordinate their activity instead of anti-correlating and suppressing each other. Although the medial prefrontal cortex is not receiving direct sensory input, it responds to aspects of the environment indirectly. For example, parts of the medial prefrontal cortex are activated when we are viewing a scene, such as when like, we're watching a movie and people arrive on the scene. It appears to be an essential component in determining social awareness and it aids in responses such as empathy. Deficiencies in the medial prefrontal cortex um, may contribute to things like conduct disorder and antisocial personality disorder. Reduced function in the medial prefrontal cortex has been found in individuals with autism spectrum disorder, and it has also been shown that actually social skills training increased activity in the medial prefrontal cortex. Affect or emotion regulation can also be difficult, especially for like individuals with autism or with PTSD or with antisocial or borderline personality disorder and many, many other psychiatric disorders. The medial prefrontal cortex can exert some top-down control on our affective responses, basically telling us, at least in some degree, how we ought to be feeling right now, or if our feelings match the context that we find ourselves in. The medial prefrontal cortex linked to emotional regulation has been modeled primarily in animals as fear or a stress response, and then this is followed by some sort of extinction response where an animal could unlearn that fear. With regard to fear learning, it seems like the more, or it has been proposed anyway, that the more ventral or infralimbic regions of the medial prefrontal cortex may be doing more to suppress fear, while the dorsal or prelimbic regions of the, combined with the anterior cingulate, cingulate gyrus, may be promoting fear reactions instead of suppressing them. But this division of labor has not been definitively demonstrated. What is clear, however, is that managing stress is a high priority and requires a lot of calculus, and that this calculus is done by the anterior cingulate and the prelimbic and infralimbic regions of the medial prefrontal cortex. Avoidance of danger is a critical skill for survival, but it's also very costly, so having highly accurate, goal-oriented behaviors toward or away from various environmental cues, whether they be immediate, like I'm approaching a cliff's edge, or there's a stranger in my path, or anticipatory, like the thought that you will be walking home late tonight by yourself. The more ventral or infralimbic portion of the medial prefrontal cortex per projects directly to brainstem nuclei, such as the nucleus of the solitary tract, where it could be potentially interacting with fibers from the vagus nerve, which could be an episode all on its own. And also, uh, in this region, there's the rostroventral lateral med medulla, which controls sympathetic responses, such as your baroreflex, which is basically uh, adjusting your blood pressure as needed 
infralimbic region is thought to be more stimulating or activating to the sympathetic nervous system, but some studies have also noted a suppressive effect. The dorsal or prelimbic portion of the medial prefrontal cortex extends projections to the anterior bed nucleus of the stria terminalis, which is connected to the hypothalamus and the amygdala, and it helps to regulate autonomic and neuroendocrine functions. There is some evidence from patients with PTSD that the ventral medial prefrontal cortex plays a large role in hyperarousal by failing to downregulate down autonomic responses to non-threatening situations, which results in hyperarousal, while over-suppression of the amygdala, on the other hand, can result in kind of this feeling of emotional numbing um, or uh, being disconnected, such as in the dissociative subtype of PTSD. There is a lot more to learn about the medial prefrontal cortex, and the fact that it's tucked deep into the middle of our brains here near the front makes it less accessible to techniques like transcranial magnetic stimulation, which um, is pretty good at getting to the surface of the cortex, but you need stronger magnets with a lot of energy to get deeper than that. But I believe in the future that we will develop technologies that will help us come to appreciate much more just how much this uh, really kind of unknown region plays a role in psychiatric disorders. The part of our cortex that can help us to get excited or make us afraid or calm us down is the same part that lights up when we see a human enter our space that inspires empathy constructs our sense of self and helps us to understand that other people also have their own sense of self. This same part drives what kinds of memories we ponder, what kinds of values we have, and what kind of person we should be. I'm really impressed. This episode ends my series on the prefrontal cortex. I'm not sure exactly what is going to be up next, but every day I read something fascinating or I have a patient that makes me dive a little deeper into the literature on some topic, and I hope that I have the time to share some of this with you sooner than later. In the meantime, be safe, but not too safe. I am Dr. O'Leary, and this has been an episode of Sidactic Residency Edition.